Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Hello, young adventurers. Dylan here. On today's podcast, I interview Lou Elizondo. Lou is a former director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, ATIP, and a secretive Pentagon unit that studied UFOs. As a senior counterintelligence officer for the Department of Defense, he's operated throughout Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Latin America. He also is part of the show called Unidentified, where he continues his work from the military space and to the civilian space. He studies unidentified objects UFOs, otherwise known as UAPs. We have a wide-ranging conversations, primarily around what does it mean to be a hero? Heroes in life and not only in battle. What does it take to take those brave steps forward? How do you how do you strike a balance between having being able to take feedback in from other people as well as having your own vision marking forward? Why is it that little girls don't want nice and shining armor? And what is it that we really need to do to break the rust off ourselves? So this is a wide ranging and wonderful conversation. And without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Lou Elizondo. Hey Lou, how goes it buddy? Good brother, can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. It's great to see you again. (laughs) Better to see you my friend, how things going? Fantastic. Having a, having a grand Excellent. old time. How about yourself? Great. Brother, every day above ground is a good day. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is good to see you again. How's yeah. my audio? Coming okay? Can you hear me okay? Audio is great, brother. Everything sounds good. Are you, uh, where are you uh, coming in from right now? I'm in Wyoming. Uh, I have a little house here in the middle of nowhere, USA, right on the foothills on the Bighorns. And uh, I got to tell you, it's, uh, it's God's country. It's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's magical. It's got to be yeah, so different than like uh, being out uh, in LA and all that stuff. You know, I, 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 gotta, I gotta hand it to people who, who can deal with it. Um, you know, I, I, I've lived in big cities a, a lot during my career. And uh, I guess I'm at the age where, you know, you kind of get old and cranky and my ability to just deal with traffic and congestion and it's i i don't have it anymore i I don't it's you know there's a reason why people get weird and disappear and you know grow their hair down to their shoulders and disappear in the mountains i i i get it for sure yeah yeah there's a there's an energy about being around you know people and like that when you're in la and other places where it feels hivey but then sometimes it gets it gets so much especially with the times that we've had lately is that you realize that how much those places are just kind of propped off on this being supported by everything else. Right. Yes, so, absolutely. It, it's, it's a, it's a chain. And if one link of that chain breaks, it can be catastrophic. And, um, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I, I guess because I tend to be an introvert, you know, for me, I, I, I don't mind people. It's uh, it's just for me, um, I, I, I honestly, I love my solitude. I really do. Yeah, no, I, it's so funny you say that because of like how we connected and just how public you are with so many things is when you say you're, you're uh, an introvert, I, I, I totally believe you, but just like the life that you've led kind of brought you into such a public space, you know, like it's been not a, a like, I mean, how did I mean? How did you end up shifting into such a public eye? Like the and, and well, I, it, you know, I, I it really wasn't my decision. I, I didn't intend to go into the public eye. I, I was a, a government, you know, if you will, a government servant for my for pretty much my my entire career. Mm-hmm. And um, when I when I finally left my beloved department, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, honestly, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I figured maybe just go and go work at Walmart or something. You know. Uh, I, I, I love to tinker on cars and kind of as a hobby, I, I, you know, when most guys are going out to the sports bars, I'm, I'm, I, I'm an inventor. I, I write patents and I kind of geek out like that. So um, it wasn't until uh, I, uh, I had the opportunity to, to work with some individuals and all of a sudden there was the New York Times story that kind of thrust me in, in this front of the spotlight. Um, 
you know, I was much happier working backstage. Uh, it, it, believe me, if I had a chance to to redirect that spotlight spotlight on stage to somewhere else, I I certainly would uh, would have preferred that. Um, because I am, I'm a creature of the shadows. You know, my career in intelligence has always been a bit of a, um, I guess, a, a mystery to some people. Um, it's really not that much of a mystery, but at the bottom line, in, in intelligence, you, you you seek the shadows, you want anonymity, right? Um, and uh, yeah, that's complete opposite of where I find myself these days, for sure. That is, that is so funny. And in, in terms of about being creatures of shadows, it's the same thing as, it's one being a creature status, but also the ability to kind of make friends and turn turn strangers into friends. I mean, it's it's like that's it's an interesting combination and and field you found yourself in. And you know, coming from the, I mean, being of service to the country and everything. Like, I mean, how did you start out? What got you into the the service industry? Like, why did you sign up to? I mean, very thankful for it. But why did you end up signing up to, to, to be of service to the country? You know, for me, it was, um, it was a personal decision. My, my family, my father came from Cuba um, as, a, as a political, seeking political asylum. He was, he was engaged in the, the Bay of Pigs invasion and uh, the U.S. led back invasion against the, the Castro regime. And my father was captured and he was a political prisoner. Uh, and so when he, sorry, my dog's barking. So when he... Uh, was released from, from Castro's jails. He came to the United States seeking a new life. And, and basically Castro said, you know, don't, don't you come back here no more for the most part. So my family's been in exile and my father came to this country literally with a dime in his pocket. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's worked for everything he ever had. And he always told me from, from, as, from day one, he said, you know, everything I have, I owe to this country. This country has been very good to me. And this country is, is worth, sacrificing for mm. and I've always kind of just kind of knew that um, I knew that I, it's it was part of my DNA to to try to give back more than I take um, you know it's not you know I, I don't want to sound you know all emotional and weird on you because you know a lot of people feel that way I think we all yeah. in, in our hearts want to we want to leave something better than we found it um, and you know, that's for me. The calling was to was to serve the American people. You know, give give something to this great country, whether people appreciate it or not. Um, give something back. You know, it it mm -hmm. it, it gave the, the day I was born. This country already gave more to me and my family than than I could have ever expected. You know, if had it not been for this country, I would have been born under the the yoke of tyranny. So. So yeah, I just I was just kind of born into that, and and you know, good work ethic. You know, nothing is for free. You you need to work and, and earn, and and don't expect anybody to give you anything. Um, and if they do, be thankful for it. You know, and always appreciate the little things in life. You know, every day is a blessing. From my perspective, you know, there's an old saying: every day above ground is a good day. And I believe that because some friends of mine aren't here to to appreciate the next day they're gone they didn't they didn't make it out of the battlefield so you know I, I i really do believe that i think every day is a gift and i think once we realize that as people a lot of the kind of the silly things we 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 argue about you know whether it's you know our, our political leanings or religious affiliations or or anything else kind of seem inconsequential when it comes to really the bigger picture right i mean we're all part of this yeah this brotherhood, this sisterhood we call humanity. Uh, why, why don't we start working together a little bit more and, and, you know, make this place the great place that it certainly could be and should yeah. be. No, I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, you touched on so many beautiful points there. The, you know, just recently, you know, you know, um, part of this nonprofit I'm working with down here, uh, they have a thing called morning gratitude where they get in and they say a moment of gratitude and they, they go for it. And uh, very recently we had veterans day. Um, and so I was, you know, grateful because my, my father was a veteran and, you know, gave his time and, you know, is was, was really grateful for the time, you know, he got to spend because, you know, he is a Vietnam veteran and, you know, we went down to the Memorial in Orange County and we saw a list of all the names of all the people, you know, friends that didn't make 
the way back. And I was just like, wow, you know, uh, having the appreciation for the people that sacrificed themselves and that you didn't even know gave their life for, for simply the opportunity. And, the, and the, the, the weird ironic thing about what you're talking about right there is that there's good men that, that sacrifice themselves or their lives or time or effort or, or anything um, to allow us to grow up in seemingly a soft country that we don't, it's, it's so good that we don't even realize how good it is. And so we become, right. you know, not so kind because of the, uh, the lack of hardship that we don't really suffer. <laughs> and, um, right. and, and it's that the, it, we've kind of created a, a softer country. So how do you, you know, question, I you know, just I mean, this, don't mean to go in the realm of philosophy, but like, sure. how do you create such a kind, like how do you create a country that is uh, that doesn't have to suffer the hardships that's avoided because other brave men have gone before it, as well as understanding and getting an appreciation for life and 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 knowing that of how good they got it. Like how do you, sure. how, do you how do you strike that balance? Well, for me, you know, I, I I'll, I'll take from uh from a bit from Zoroastrianism where you know there's an old saying: good thoughts, good words, and good deeds. You repay that back. Mm -hmm that sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice, ultimately by your behavior, by your ability to help affect and influence other individuals in a positive way, help mm -hmm. improve their life, help improve their opportunities, help, help improve them in a real way. And I don't mean necessarily just a tangible way, right? Uh, yeah. You know, tangibles are, are nice, creature comforts are nice, but we all know they're not everything. There were times where I slept in a, in a, in a tent and it was like, felt like the Taj Mahal because <laughs> I was around my buddies and I was safe and secure. Um, you know, I, I, I think for me, the worst part of the, the best part of warfare and the best part of, of that type of horrible experience is that it can help make you, uh, and not always, but it can help make you a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better better citizen because you see how bad it really can be and for me you know one thing are these these poor men and women these heroes that come back you know with broken bodies but there is nothing more tragic than a person that comes back with a with a broken spirit a broken soul um, those are the deepest wounds those are the hardest wounds to to mend mm -hmm. and for me you know losing an arm or a leg as terrible as that is it's still not, you're not losing part of yourself. Whereas, you know, when you have somebody come back to this country and, and for whatever reason, now they don't have the same opportunities that they had before because they had to go serve their country. You know, to me, that, that is a true travesty. And I don't mean that just for veterans. Okay. So, you know, obviously I'm, I'm unabashedly pro-American that I am, but, but for me, from a humanity perspective, you know, we're, we're all human beings. We all, we all occupy the same little rock together that's hurtling through space, you know, that's, that's, that's orbiting around some unremarkable star we call the sun. And this is all we have. So for us to go through life and, and not, not recognize that our fellow men, our fellow women, our, 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 you know, our compatriots in, the, in, in this, this thing we call humanity, um, not recognize that that you know they we should invest in them. There, there's there's an investment there. There is no you know a wise man once said a long long time ago. I won't bore you with who, but said the greatest nation is about one generation away from utter ruin. Okay, mm. and in essence, what that means is that it doesn't matter how much gold or natural resources a country has. It doesn't matter uh, how much lumber and how much uh, you know. Think of anything that that minerals and right rare earth elements that that a country may have that makes it rich. That's not what makes a country rich, because at at any moment that can be gone and exploited. Now you have nothing. What makes a country rich is its future, is the next generation. And if you don't invest in that, nothing else matters. Um, so so if there was anything that we needed to invest in, I would say it's really the next generation. And and hopefully help them learn from from our own mistakes, not not just their own mistakes, but our mistakes. Um, so that's kind of my perspective of you know where you, when you're asking me, you know how going back to your original question, why did yeah. I decide to serve? Yeah. Um, 
I really didn't have a choice. It's just in my DNA. And I think a lot of people feel that way, not just military, whether you're a police officer, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a doctor or a nurse, or you know, you hang up sheetrock for a living. Um, everybody has a way to give back some way. You know, it doesn't have to be behind a, a, a machine gun necessarily. You know, you doing what you're doing now, you're giving back. You're having a conversation with with people and you're touching people in an intimate way that maybe had it not been for you, maybe never, they never would have had a chance to, to, to listen to what you have to say. And, and, and maybe you've impacted them, you know, ever so, ever so slightly. I'll, I'll digress here for a second, why I think that's so important. And I do think ultimately at the end of the day, you know, what you do mm. for society is, is just as important as what, what I did for society or anybody else. You know, um, going back to my analogies, I guess it's my Latin roots. I love analogies, but you know, there's a there's a story about this this incredible artist mm -hmm. who creates this 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 beautiful statue, and everybody comes in and they're saying, "Oh my goodness, what an incredible masterpiece this is! Look at the the curves and the angles, and it's just a perfect human form." And the, the people didn't understand why the artist would get upset and cry every time people would say that. And finally, someone said to him, you know, why you should be, you, know, you should be very happy, right? Why, why are you crying every time someone comes in and says, look at this beautiful masterpiece? And the artist's response was, was very simple. That's not the masterpiece. What you see on the floor, all the dust and all the, the, the chip marks and what's left you know, on the down there, that's the masterpiece. All you see here is what's left behind. The masterpiece is the blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice that went into making that. But that mm. in itself is not the masterpiece. If you look at that and say, that's the masterpiece, you're wrong. It's what went behind to making that is the true masterpiece, right? Mm. And I I believe that very much, you know, the the ability to to reach out to people and connect with people and help help them, whether it's through a problem or through a crisis or just everyday advice, you know, uh, or sometimes just listening. Sometimes, you know what, people don't even need advice. They, they just need someone to listen to. So anyways, that's kind of my well, perspective. No, it's beautiful. And I love analogies. I'll, I'll go all day long with you on these ones. Um, a couple of things is that I, I do this because I, I enjoy this and and it's it's something that I, I love connecting with actual people that that give themselves to a cause that that are you know beyond this. And it's, I find it inspiring, and hopefully someone finds it entertaining and inspiring along the way. Uh, but no way uh, do I feel a like comparison to what what I do to what you do in, in the levels of the service that you've given to the country and, and dedication and time. And I, I do think that you're right, though, in terms of not everybody can go off and fight real wars, but there's, there's wars at homes. There's wars of kindness in a, in a, in a tragic situation. There's, there's, there's suffering all around you and you're the hand up. I often think about the book, Victor Franco's Man's Search for Meaning, where, you know, in the, in the throes of it, where, you know, he gets off of that, the butt or he gets off of the train and, you know, a guy points to the left and then points to the right to another person. And then he goes off into, you know, the Auschwitz camp and he sees suffering and instructions and and basically all the, the world's greatest and most evil experiment of all time was she, he saw how everybody was treated and left to die and he realized that in the in the the, the most horrendous of situations some become you know sinners and others become saints and it's all about the fact that the meaning you apply and in the even in the worst of those conditions where you're treated left to dead you can still have, find kindness because in those moments of, of stimuli, it's not us just reacting gives us no free will, no power, no ability whatsoever, but the ability to choose kindness over suffering or to choose suffering with meaning. You know, fellow people, there's, um, uh, I went to school with a, a gentleman by the name of Mike Mansour, um, who you might, might have heard of, um, um, who um, was a Navy SEAL who sacrificed himself, who jumped on a grenade and, and gave himself and people often feel it's you know it's life is all about moving towards pleasure and away from pain and the Victor Franco's man's search for meaning goes well that's not true if you will you will go towards pain if there's a greater meaning attached to it and I think the true heroes are the ones that selfishly uh, jump on that grenade or, or, or an emotional one or any of those types of things to take that because 
they understand in some weird way that we're connected in some weird way that your joy is my joy or if you know oddly enough like if you know if if you see me get kicked in the testicles you feel it we're in all some weird strange way we are connected and and you know it's it's amazing to me when i when i see everyone's perspective because that perspective if, if people would hold more to that perspective what you're talking about global human perspective you know the world would be such a better place especially if we all looked at it like we're one big family and then you know it takes a village to raise a fat or it takes a village to raise a baby and then we realize that those kids that are suffering in, 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 the, in the difficult areas, if everyone would just pitch in to help, we could literally right. elevate us to a better place. It's just, it's just balancing out the, how do we, how do we protect them from the tragedies that, that create suffering, but also strengthen them um, right. with, with, you know, some sort of intentional suffering or something that would allow sure. them to grow. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you know, it, it's funny because it's, it's the same thing as, as blade making or sword making, you know, you, it's funny, you can have the, the a rusty blade, uh, mm -hmm. sword blade, and, and look at it, and it's really ugly. Next to it, it's really shiny blade, and you're like, oh, whoa, that one looks so much better. But in reality, you know, what makes a good sword is, 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 the fire, is the firing process and the beating on it, and then the quenching process. And, and until a blade goes through that, you're never really sure the quality of metal that's inside. And sometimes you have to have that heat treatment, if you will, in order to make the blade stronger and even better. And so, you know, uh, some of the, the finest blades in the world have to go through this torturous process over and over again of, of, of being heated up and beaten and pounded and heated up and beaten and pounded over and over and over again to make that strong blade. And, you know, yeah. if you want to you want to talk about a hero, I would just say, that, you know, America's full of them. Just look outside and find a single mother that's working 12 hours, you know, a day, then comes home and then has to make dinner and then do homework for little Johnny or little Jane and then go do it to night school after that, right? And then yeah. wake up and have to do the whole process all over again. And meanwhile, somehow she keeps a smile on her face. You know, that's that's a hero, man. That's yeah. that's incredible. Or the or the maybe the school teacher that waits an extra hour after school uh, because one kid uh, didn't get picked up uh, and has to wait in the parking lot by themselves, you know, for for an hour. Those are the heroes, man. Those are, they're everywhere. I, I, they're, I, you know, those are the people that I tip my hat to. Those are the ones that, you know, gosh, those are the ones that really deserve the acknowledgement. And unfortunately, those are the ones that, that, that remain silent the most. But, but yeah, yeah I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. In terms of when you're talking about the, uh, the, the, the sword, I, I agree with yours, is, um, you know, beating that sword and refining it through the heat, through the forge, through the fires, and having it folded over on itself, strengthening itself within itself over and over and again, you know, fortifies it and gives it, you know, ultimately that resilience that, that the sword needs to withstand battle, as you would. The, the same thing is true Strength for Strength and flexibility, right? It's got to be strong, <laughs> but flexible. Can't be too brittle, but it's got to be strong. So it's a balance between those two, and, it's, and if you're yeah. one way or the other, it won't it won't work out. So, right. you know, what do you think in terms? Of, just curious for, like, say, uh, young ones or, or even your own experiences. You know, what are some of the experiences that that you know you know young adventurers could go on, or things that they could do that would that would give them that strength, that resilience without breaking them? Do you think? You ever think about if you could give you know uh, gifts of something like this to the the next generation you know what would that look like to actually help you know allow them to have both that strength and that flexibility the two words of advice i would have for that first of all would be always be kind number one always try to be kind even if in warfare and you have to do terrible things you're not doing it to be mean ultimately you're doing it to bring peace and so it's, it, you know, war is a terrible thing. It's, it's, it's a heinous, violent act. Uh, and unfortunately, we live in a world where still sometimes it's necessary. But you don't go to war trying to hate somebody out of existence. You go to war out of love protecting your own people. And mm. so the first word of advice is to be kind. And the other one is to never give up. Never, ever give up. And I don't care if it takes you a thousand times or 2000 times, don't give up because eventually you will break through and it can be very discouraging. You know, you try and you fail and you try and you fail. Well, try again and try again and don't ever stop trying. 
Um, that is the human spirit. And for young people out there, I would say, um, don't make up excuses for failure. You're going to fail and failure is okay because that's how you learn. In fact, you should embrace failure. In fact, you should not only embrace your own failure, embrace my failure, embrace your failure, embrace hers and his and everybody around you, because that's how you learn. You're only going to be more effective and a better human being by failing. Failure is, is every part as important as success. You know, there's a, there, again, another story, I hate to do this to you, but my father told me a story of, yeah. of this great swimmer who won the Olympics and, and everybody, all these accolades, oh, it's incredible. And, and, the, and the reporter came up and she says to the swimmer, you know, how does it feel to be, have the record for being the fastest man alive in the water and, and, and winning the most, you know, prestigious award? And he said, well, you may not be aware of this, but I also have the record for losing the most uh, tournaments. Uh, I just, and, and being the slowest swimmer uh, during competition. And it wasn't because, it was because of that, that I, I never gave up and continued to, to swim, just keep, keep doing it, keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, right? So, so it's funny that the person who wound up being the fastest swimmer in the world, and, and my dad used to tell me this story and wound up winning the most amount of medals, also had had the uh, the, uh, the the honor of having the most uh, number of losses, and at one yeah. point being the slowest swimmer. So, you know, I I, I take that to heart. I, I think I think failure is just as natural and as important uh, as success. And if we mm -hmm. focus on the success aspect in life too much, then we're never going to learn the lessons of failure. And there's a lot of good lessons there. Yeah, hundred percent. And the it, 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 I wholeheartedly agree with you on that one. The one thing that, that rolls through my head as you say that is it's so easy to say that type of thing, but so often people in life are petrified by the fear and primarily the fear of failure, not necessarily the fear of failure, but the fear of the judgment of how they'll be perceived as a failure. And also when they failure, that when they fail, the lack of belief that they feel, the self-doubt that they can't find their way through it, that they don't believe that they're good enough and they don't view themselves as their own heroes in their own life. And that's one of the hardest parts is that they, they think, oh, because I failed this one, people are gonna really kill me. They're gonna find out that I'm a fraud, that I'm never gonna be able to succeed. And so I, I might not even try. And so they stay small and they don't, they don't don't let that inner light shine because they're afraid to take that brave step forward because of the judgment, because of the ridicule, because of, you know, not wanting to, you know, uh, come out publicly for whatever the thing might be online because of the judgment. And it's like, it, it's weird that we, we want to be accepted for our authentic selves, but at the same time, we, 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 we want to be accepted and in, 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 into the groups. And so it's that balance between having your voice heard and being accepted part of the group, because we are that, that balancing thing. And if, 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 you know, and, and I think you answered, and I, and I don't know if there's an answer to this, but I'm, I'm going to ask it anyways, is if, if someone had that fear if they if they wanted to speak out if they had something inside of them but they were afraid that someone was going to judge them if they were afraid that somebody was going to ridicule them for speaking their message and they were they were definitely afraid of failing how do you how do you get them to to take that step forward how do you how do you how do you how do you create that mindset of them accepting the pain and the ridicule and the judgment all around it and what is that how how do you create that 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 frame that because that's what that seems like it's needed well, I think what we first do is explain why is it we fear being judged? Why is it we, we, we seek as human beings acceptance from our peers? And, you know, I, I just tell you, I live here in Wyoming and we have, we have cattle all around us and uh, we have antelope and we have deer and elk. And these are all herd animals. These are animals that, that like to stick together. Hmm. And you'll always see them very close and, and human beings very much. It's a lot of the reasons why we live in big cities and of course opportunity, but, but we seek to be around other human beings and we seek their acceptance. It's something that seems to be innate in all human beings. So first of all, understand that, that it is a normal human feeling to want to be accepted and, and to avoid poor judgment. We always all want to be judged in, in, in a good light. But the reality is that's never the case. And in fact, most of the best presidents that we've had in, in the United States at one time were, were, were really <laughs> considered not very good presidents or good people. And you know, history is always a much better judge than the present. 
Um, but I, I, my advice to them is say, look, get used to it. You're going to be judged, but that's okay. It's what makes us human. It's not, you're never going to stop but somebody not judging you. That's going to happen. I mean, how do I know, right? <laughs> I can tell you from firsthand accounts. Um, but that's not what's important. What's important is how you deal with that judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Do you internalize that judgment? Consider what uh, what what people are saying, because sometimes people, what they say is correct, right? Don't just reject anybody who has any type of criticism against you. Don't just say, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm a hero. Um, listen to it. Listen to the criticism. See if it's valid. See if there's things that you can do if you agree with that, if you will, that judgment uh, to improve yourself. But at the same time, you know, judgment at the end of the day is just someone's opinion. That's it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, we are wrong an awful lot. I would say that as human beings, we probably got about a 50-50 shot of ever being right or wrong about anything, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. There's very few things we actually know. If you really look at it from a philosophical perspective, there's really only a handful of things that we actually know as a human being. And everything else is kind of an agreed to consensus that, yeah, that's probably right. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as judgment's concerned, you know, I, I would say um, build yourself the right armor um, to accept judgment. Um, speaking of armor, I'll give you advice that I well, give your, your listeners advice I used mm -hmm. to give my daughter. You know, my daughter, when she was very young and she, she now laughs about the story, um, you know, came to me and we were watching a movie and I think it was a Disney movie. And, you know, of course, the, the, the prince on a horse with armor comes down and saves the day with the princess. And she says, Dad, do you ever think I'll ever find my knight in shining armor? And I told her truthfully from the bottom of my heart, not realizing what I was saying, she would interpret differently. I said, gosh, I hope not. And of course, you know, at the time, my wife looks at me and my other daughter looks at me like, Dad, what the hell are you talking about? What, what do you mean? Why would you wish your daughter that, right? And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, my gosh, you don't understand what I'm saying. No, I, I, I love my daughter too much. And I told her, I said, look, dear, I love you so much that, that I want you to, I don't want you to have the knight in shining armor. Because the knight in shining armor is somebody there who's never been in battle. There's no scuffs. There's no blemishes. And frankly, they might have a pretty outside but what's inside, you have no idea. It's never been tested. It's never been true. What I want you to have is the knight that's got the battered shield and the blunted sword, and it's got dings and scratches all over because that's the knight that can perform. That's the knight that I know is going to be there for you when you need that person most. No, I don't want you to have the knight in shining armor. That's, that's, that's society telling you what you want to have. What you really want is that one over there because that's the one that's going to stick through the fire with you when you need it most. And, you know, that's, I think hopefully after that, she, she understood, but you know. that's so, that's so beautiful, powerful and true. I, uh, I gave a, I gave a talk to these, um, um, I said, we're going to this nonprofit. And I, I was telling them stories cause they're all kind of young and boisterous. And I, I was telling them about paper armor and false swords and how, a lot of times when they're younger, they, they talk about how, oh, I'm great. I'm awesome. This is, this is, this, everything's great. And, but it's really just paper armor and the false doors are basically these lies that they say when they go to do battle. And, you know, some of the things that we're helping them with is actually helping them gain some experience points to kind of, you know, level up that armor so that, you know, someone doesn't come along with a normal sword just, and just, ah, they just fall to the ground because right. they, they say they're great, but they have no experience in any way, shape or form to be able to justify that. And then they fall to the ground, they go, that hurts. And they don't know what to do versus that the not so shiny armor that you're talking about has gone through those battles. They've built up their own armor from the inside out. And they know that they can take that because what you're talking about, that balance again, flexible and strong you know, having the humility to listen and, but the strength to endure the criticism, but also the strength of your own resolve to know that this is my direction. I will take your feedback because I'm strong enough to do it. At the same time, I know where I'm going and that balance is, is so powerful. Um, I'm willing to bit, and this might be a, a, a slight side turn, but going into the areas I'd love to talk with you about, you've probably yeah. faced a little bit of uh, ridicule and criticisms with some of the things that you stood up for um, you know, in the, in the areas of 
lack of the term, um, um, UFOs and aliens and all those things, and being public and coming online when, you know, you know, there's a, there's a quite an opportunity for people to ridicule people online because you can't, I can't look at Lou in the face and, and, and say that as I type that onto YouTube, you know, they just come barreling at you. So, you know, what is, what has some of your experiences been like um, coming forth with that? And has there any, been any like threshold guardians that you've done battle with as you've, as you've really stood to be um, the, the, the voice to, to this cause? Well, um, first of all, I think we should never fear the truth. Uh, now I know truth is relative to some people and we all have our own truths. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as those guardians preventing me from moving forward, I think the biggest challenge we all have as human beings is twofold. It is, it is ourselves, mm -hmm. and then it is the image we project in our minds about who we are, about ourselves, right? Um, and we are masters of self-deception as human beings. And being, being a, a career intelligence officer, you learn firsthand that, that we, we will do all sorts of mental gymnastics to create this picture in our mind of who we are. Um, and sometimes it's out of insecurity, sometimes it's out of vanity, sometimes it's out of all the, you know, if you will, the, this, the, the things that we're, we're told to avoid that affect the, the human condition so much. Uh, but it's it's part of us, part of who we are. So to deny that that the, that that's there, I think is is probably not very helpful. We have to deal with it. You're not going to cure it, but you you can deal with it. And it that starts with looking in the mirror every morning and saying, okay, um, here's here's my baseline. I'm no better than anybody else, but I'm also not worse than anybody else. Okay, so. Uh, when I say better, I mean as a human being. I, the value of my life, whether I am on TV or I'm a rock star or I'm a famous lawyer or talk show host, um, as a human being, I have no more value than anybody else on this planet. But I'm also not less valuable. So recognizing that, okay, now we're all, we all have equal worth, right? Not financial worth, but, but as a human being, spiritual worth, we all have the same. Um, and then saying, okay, if what's preventing me from really getting, as you say, to that next level, ultimately is myself. If, for example, you have somebody says, well, you know, I want to get promoted at work, but my boss doesn't like me and they're never going to promote me. And it's, okay, well, that's an excuse. That's, there's, there's something going on there. There's ways to work around that. Maybe you need to find another job. Maybe you need to learn to work better with people. Maybe there's something there that you're not aware of, right? But, but that starts with self-reflection. And that's the hardest thing to do, to look in the mirror and realize, wow, you know, maybe I'm not as beautiful as I thought I was. Um, that, that keeps you grounded. Humility is, is imperative. And I don't care if you're in the halls of Congress or on the battlefields of Afghanistan. Humility, humbleness, that, that is the first place, in my opinion anyways, my opinion only, where to start. If you want to advance up, my recommendation to you first is stop worrying about advancing up. Look down, put your hand down, and try to bring somebody up to your level. Stop worrying about advancing to the next level. If that's all you're consumed with, then then, you know, you may find some relative success in that, but ultimately you're going to fall much far shorter of what you're truly capable of. My advice would be, don't look at the next advancement, look down below. And those are the ones you want to help. And by helping them, you'll find yourself automatically raising, you know, all the, the promotions I ever had in the U.S. government, I never applied for any of them. I was always, every job I ever had, I rose very quickly through the ranks, wasn't because of me, because I had fantastic teams. We were incredible offices. You know, we, we had these great people working with us together collectively. Uh, I never use the term me, mine, or I. This is my office. These are my staff. It's us. This is collectively, this is our office. This is our mission. This is our team. You know, we all have equal value here. Yeah, maybe the, the supervisor, but, but I, I'm no more or no less important than anybody else. And by creating those type of teams where we are working together and all for one, one for all, you know, 
if, if you fail, we all fail. And if you succeed, we all succeed, vice versa, right? Um, that, that automatically for somehow some magical way, I found myself getting promoted through the ranks very fast and people saying, hey, Lou, you know, do you mind coming to work for me? I, can you do for me what you did over there? And they said, well, I'm not going to do it for you, but, but I'm, I'm happy to go there and help you do it. Uh, and we'll do it as a team. And mm. that's kind of been my philosophy. Um, so I guess the guardians, you know, I, I guess to put it succinctly, my advice would be forget about the guardians stopping you from leveling up because the guardians are in yourself. Uh, I would say, ignore them and just, turn a 180 degrees and see who's behind you and help those people catch up. And if you do that, chances are whatever guardians you perceive being in front of you will poof, vanish into thin air almost overnight. Wow. That's incredible. The, uh, never thought about having the guardians being inside of you and you are your, that you are your own threshold guardians blocking your own path. And the best way to do that is to help other people get to where you're at. And that natural momentum of helping them up will pro project you kind of like an arrow being pulled back and sending off into flight. You know, you're helping them go up with you. And that's a very, it's a very powerful statement. And that, that collective consciousness of, uh, of us and we and our, and, and that really creates that mindset of, doing things and you'll only do so much for yourself but you'll do so much so much for other people one of the statements i've always goes is for them i am you know for them i am worthy for them i am enough for them i am capable for them because you may not be enough for you but if you're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do this for the mom right that goes well normally i, I just want to sit here and cry but i gotta step up for my kids right and thus they find the strength in some way shape. you got it brother you got it which I think is powerful and beautiful. I love the idea of the threshold guardians being within you and you're the one stopping yourself and helping others is the way to get past that. Um, how did you end up, how did you end up working um, in the, in the, in the area of, um, uh, I may, I might butcher the statement, but how'd you end up working in the area where, because you, you advance quickly through the ranks and then eventually you're working on um, uncovering UFOs and getting into that space and how did you find yourself into that position and, and what were some of the, the things that you've learned along the way through that? Well, like I said, I, I never asked for my positions and this yeah. is certainly no, no exception. I, uh, had I, had I know then what I knew now, I probably would have run the opposite direction very quickly, but, um, you know, I, uh, I was very lucky. I've always had some really good people working with me. Um, and, um, we always, you know, wound up su succeeding in our mission collectively. And one day some people came by to my office. Uh, I remember very clearly, I was in a uh, facility in Washington, DC, uh, in the Crystal City area. And two people came up to my office uh, and said, uh, are you Mr. Elizondo? Of course, wearing, you know, typical DC suits and rolling suits. And immediately, first thing I'm thinking is, oh, you know, IG is here, Inspector General. Oh, someone messed up. You know, first thing goes through through your mind is, all right, what do I do now? Uh, so yeah, come on in. And of course, they ask you some questions. You know, you you had this experience or that experience, and so yeah, you know, a little bit of experience doing this and that. And, and they said, well, listen, um, we we have a position we're considering you for. Mm. And uh, I said, okay, yeah, I'm here to serve. Whatever you need me to do. And after a few more of these meetings, they still wouldn't tell me what this was about. Um, I just presumed it was some sort of special, I had spent some time in the special operations community working alongside these folks uh, day in and day out. So I just presumed it was just going to be some other type of special activity they wanted me to, to be part of. And um, I wound up going to a, a, a building in the national capital region at a, at a covered facility of a classified sensitive facility. It looks like a, like a civilian you know, office space, but it really wasn't. And I go in there and um, there's a gentleman with glasses. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say your typical scientist, but, but just exudes that intellectualism, right? Like, like you're saying, wow, this guy has about a hundred IQ points higher, you know, than I will ever have in my life. And he has it on a bad day when he's drunk. And mm -hmm. so he's sitting in this chair and he pulls down his glasses, looking through this, uh, if you will, my, I guess, a bit of a, a dossier, I mean, you know, you really got a lot of a lot of qualifications here, Lou. Um, you know, starts to talk about the program, and, and then he finally looks at me, just straight laced, and he says to me, 
what do you think about the topic of UFOs? And it took me for a moment because I'm thinking to myself, is this a test? Is he trying to see if I'm, you know, psychologically stable? And so I said, you know, what the hell, just tell him the truth. And I said, I, I don't think about him. He says, what do you mean? You don't believe him? I said, no, I didn't say that. I just, I don't have the luxury to think about UFOs because I'm too focused on my other job, which is X, Y, Z. You know, uh, I don't necessarily think one way or the other. Are they real or they're not real? I just, I really haven't thought about it much. Um, and he said, okay, great. Uh, that's, that's a good start. But, you know, let me tell you something. Don't let your analytic, analytic bias be your enemy, you know, um, because I think you're going to learn a lot of things in this office. And I hadn't even accepted the job yet, by the way, but he said, you're going to learn a lot of things in this office that, you know, may really, really challenge you, the, your, your, your current way of thinking. So that intrigued me a little bit. I was, yeah, I'm always looking for, for, for fresh new perspectives. I, I think that's mm -hmm. important, right? Add it to your quiver of arrows, right? Every time you learn something new, it's another arrow in the quiver. So um, it was in that office that, that as time went on, I began to work with that office. I, I realized that we were dealing with technology that really was, you know, for a lack of better terms in the vernacular, we call them UFOs, but in, in DOD speak, Department of Defense and Intelligence speak, we call them UAPs, Unidentified mm -hmm. Aerial Phenomena. And there's reasons for that, because, you know, when we, there's, there's technical reasons. People say, oh, well, you just, you're just playing a shell game with the name because it's got stigma. Well, partially true, but also let's take this pen for a second. You know, if I call this 50 years ago, 40 years ago, a UFO, what does that mean? It means an unidentified flying object. Well, what does flying mean? Well, flying is, is a flight is a balancing of four fundamental forces. You have thrust, lift, drag, and weight. And when you learn how to, to compensate for those forces, you create flight. You have wings, control surfaces, rudders, ailerons, etc. Well, these things that we were seeing didn't have control surfaces. They didn't have flight surfaces like wings. They didn't have ailerons and rudders. They didn't have cockpits or even engines that we could tell. And so Truth be told, technically speaking, we weren't, we weren't even sure they were flying. I mean, they were in the sky, but is it really flying? They're in the air. So, so the term unidentified aerial phenomenon was used because I think it more accurately depicted what was being encountered, right? We don't know. And these things, by the way, may have the potential to, to fly in low earth or fly. Here you go, using fly. These things have the ability to, to maneuver in low earth orbit and possibly even underwater. Uh, with it, with the same performance characteristics. So are they really flying? Um, well, the truth is no, we don't know. We don't know. It's pure speculation. So so the term UAP was really the term mm. that we use, the vernacular, if you will, in the U.S. government. Mm. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of the other terminology. I knew there was another term, but it just it's, it's just so cemented in my mind that the other word because of just the the, the, the culture and all that behind you that. You know what? UFO works fine. Um, yeah. You know, again, just... <laughs> Unfortunately, if you yeah. say that around the dinner table, you might get some raised eyebrows and maybe some some uncomfortable well, grins. And you're right. The the whole thing about the it's the connotation, and, and because there's been so much skepticism and tinfoil hats and all that 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 negative. Again, people judging other people, so they don't feel freely to speak what they you know the the, the simplest terms for them to come out with with that that topic. And so it's it's but it is a a, a fantastic. Um, thought and when you talk about a lot of this, um, you have a very uh, unity global mindset. Us, the people, us, this world, us, the planet. You know, taking care of our global children and humanitarianism and all that stuff. And I, and I just wonder also because of, you know, does it have anything to do with the fact that because you've spent so much time looking outwards at, you know, uh, at possibly the the, the possibility of these uh, UAPs. Is, is do you feel like that's shifted your perspective to have that kind of global unity thing? Because you realize that you know we are on this small planet, and and you're you 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 have more of a detachment between versus like you know you know me on me on this one state versus that on that state. Is that, does that have a, uh, an impact on your the the perspective you know, of your viewset? That's a great question. I, I would love to say, well, yeah, that's you know so succinct and great way to explain it. But for me, I think. Um, for me, it was a little different. For me, it was a mm -hmm. result of all my experience overseas in the U.S. government. So whether it's South America or the Middle East or Asia, um, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I, I come from a big Latin family, 
right? And uh, spent a lot of my time in Latin America doing Latin American operations. And all of a sudden, 9-11 hits. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, uh, I'm going to be the last guy ever going over there because you know, I'm a Spanish guy, right? A Latin America expert. That's kind of my, my, my forte. Well, it turns out because of my experience in Latin America, I wound up being one of the first guys over to, to, to Afghanistan. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, you know, there is absolutely no similarity at all between what I'm used to, you know, and, and what I can expect over there. And as it turns out, as I began to talk with locals and see the family dynamics and really get to know the people, not, not the terrorists or, you know, the, the, the insurgents, but, but the people, right? People just trying to eke out a living. Once you get across that language barrier, you begin to realize there's a lot of similarity in the, 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 the cultural, um, if you will, the, the, the cultural ethos of, of Latin America and literally across the globe on the other side of the planet in Afghanistan. They still love their children. They want to provide food to them. They don't want them to see them sick and they want them to, you know, to, to educate themselves to, to, to their standards of education. And they love their children like we do. And mm. a lot of the, the cultures, in fact, when I was in the Middle East, it was funny because, you know, you, you learn things all the time. And in Spanish, we call this a camisa and, you know, pantalón, which is pants. Mm. Come to find out those are Arabic words. <laughs> <laughs> they're not Spanish, they're Arabic. We, we, we borrowed the, the words when, when the Moors had occupied Spain. And this is some of the cultures, a lot of the things like the Spanish shingles that we call Spanish tiles, Spanish shingles on roofs are actually Moroccan shingles. Uh, they're not Spanish at all. And so there's a lot of this stuff that has borrowed between cultures that we don't even realize are not part of our own culture. They just kind of assimilated and we adopted them as kind of a, an American thing or a Spanish thing, or a Cuban thing, or a whatever. And they're not at all. And so you begin to realize that we have a lot more in common with our brothers and sisters, uh, not only neck, right next door to us, but on the other side of the planet. Well, again, we're all stuck on this same rock together. Mm. So we're, we're no, you know, there's, there's only one rule in life, and that's no one gets out alive. So we're, we're all, we're all are going to be here for a certain while. We're all destined for the same fate why not make the best of it? Why not learn mm. from each other? And why, why, why not, you know, forget about our 10% differences and let's focus on our 90% things of the things that, that we can agree to, right? Our commonalities and, and let's, let's build upon those, you know, let's stop focusing on the 10% of things that we don't. I think if you took, let's say America right now, we're dealing with all sorts of issues, whether it's a, a national pandemic or we're dealing mm. with politics, right? And financial issues and but even if you take the most extreme far, quote unquote, far left with the you know, most extreme, quote unquote, far right, I think once you remove politics, the word politics, remove labels, whether it's liberal or conservative, you begin to realize that 90% of the things that, that, that we experience as human beings, we will all agree that they are important to us. We all want, we don't wanna see our family and our loved ones suffer. We all wanna see, you know, our, our, our loved ones do well and prosper and we don't want them to be sick and we, we, wanna, we wanna provide for those who we love. Those are commonalities. Those are things that make us distinctly human. And I think that's where we need to focus some of our attention to. Let's, let's forget about the other 10% stuff we don't agree to. We can deal with that later. Let's focus on the 90% of the stuff that we all do agree with, you know, better education, for example, and, and investing in our children and trying to to help the real heroes of society, right? That are out there just trying to, to make it work paycheck to paycheck. Those are the ones we need to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you're talking about the, if, you're, if your experiences are only so big of playing inside your box, which could be the box of your, your culture, could be never leaving your city, never leaving your country, never leaving your place. You think that everything that you have is, is, is your own culture it's yours because you own it right and then it's my thing but then once you start to experience the fact that and you one of the best things about traveling to other countries is you you detach from the culture that is yourself and you see other people and you realize that you don't have to act a certain way and you start to separate your identity from the culture that you are and when you go to these other cultures and other places and they could have so much less than you and be so much more happy than you and then you absolutely see them absolutely right and you realize absolutely that you're like, right. oh, you're like this is 
oh, I don't have to be this way. I don't have to get upset because Starbucks isn't open. I don't have to be upset because of whatever the things might be. And you see, right. them and you realize that there's all these stories that are playing in your in your brain of of I have to this a certain way. These are this is you know the, we created this you know. And so I love when you're talking about oh this was my culture. You know, these are my words. This was my heritage. And you realize, oh no, this isn't necessarily mine. This is actually, I'm, I'm, I have been globally created, right? The fact that we are all Correct. stardust, right? This, Absolutely. This all, we all come together, which is so powerful. And you realize that, but the only way to, and the only way to realize that you are connected is to get out of your box, go and connect right. with other people and find right. all those commonalities. Cause you can, uh, someone, you, you can, universally if, if you take someone and you put them somewhere else it doesn't matter who what where and where why and you have a group of people sharing good food and drinks and music and laughing and kids you have a recipe for a good time almost universally you can just take that element and that's one of the things that fundamentally you can see the people that have the greatest times aren't the people that necessarily the smartest or the strongest or even the healthiest for that like, coming from New Orleans, it's, it's really, it's just, literally, it's just, it's just, can you, can you share a laugh? Can you break bread? Can you have drinks? Can you, can you, can you, right. when someone's crying, can you hold them, right? That those are the, the those things that, that make us feel so connected. Uh, sharing the loss of a, of, of a loved one or memories of, of a loved one is, is that, it's just this weird connection. And I, I love what you're talking about, about, going and getting connected to that, that kind of reconnects me and you to, all of this um yeah we call that breaking the rust off break the rust off of yourself you know be 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 fearless in breaking the rust off yourself and and move and and go go see something or someone somewhere else you know i i I had the honor and pleasure of of meeting you and you know your audience isn't probably aware of this but how we met right and yeah it just turns out that it was fortuitous but you know what I, i don't know if i shared this with you but just the day before meeting you, I was down in Patagonia in Argentina uh, speaking with uh, an individual who was the head of his of the Mapoche tribe. Uh, they're mm-hmm. uh, indigenous people, wonderful, incredible human beings. These, these are the most humble human beings you'll ever meet. And they have the distinct, um, if you will, uh, they have the local notoriety for centuries have been the only people to beat off the Spaniards, beat off the Argentinians, and beating off the ranchers that were encroaching on their lands. They have yet to lose. And, and these are the most humble, sincere people. And when we went there to, this, to, the, to Elder, the chief's, chief's home, his humble home, he, he invited us to, I, I want, I'd like to make you some food. It was the most it was the absolute most profound experience for me because I, I, I realized yet again that life is about quality, not quantity. And he had taken his only goat that his family raised, they raised as meat, right? And he, he, he killed the goat and prepared this, this homemade meal for us, um, which was really the only thing he had of value and he was sharing it with us and his his wife was there and his lovely children were there and we're all laughing and smiling and we we had brought a drone in and we let the kids see it they'd never seen a drone before in their life or let them up close to a helicopter or anything and so we flew over their house and they could see themselves standing there and taking pictures it was but it was such a such a magical moment because he had given us everything of value that he had had he had never met us before and it was so touching that this human being who, who I'm sure could be living at a much higher level standard if, if he wanted to, chose not to. He deliberately, deliberately made the decision not to, not to clutter and cloud his life with things rather than he'd rather surround himself with people. And you could tell, and he was, he may not have been a monetarily wealthy person, but he's probably one of the most spiritually wealthy person I've ever met in my life. It was incredible. And, uh, you know, it's, again, you're right. These, these experiences going overseas really, really help. The, yeah, we met, um, well, a couple things on that one, the meaning of someone giving you something of value to them for you when they don't have enough. It's, it's one thing for, uh, me to give you $10 when I'm a millionaire. 
It's another thing for it to give you $10 when I have 20 bucks in the bank, right? That, that right there. And the meaning of that is, and you can tell that, that their willingness to give you something that costs them something is so much more powerful than the generosity of something where they feel nothing to give that gift. And that right there. Unbelievable. That, that Unbelievable. The heart. That is uh, so powerful. Yeah. We, uh, we met in a very unusual circumstances in this, I would say, seemingly haunted hotel, but I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting spot in Argentina where we're like, oh, we just got, you, we had all our packs and stuff and equipment. And you had all your packs and stuff and equipment. And like, oh, where are you coming from? Oh, I just came back from Ushuaia. Well, we just came back from Ushuaia. Well, I was just filling a TV show. We're, well, we just filled a TV show. We're like, well, I, I live in Southern California. We live in Southern California. I'm like, okay, let's, let's get together. We've got we've to have a conversation to understand why in the world are we got where you're here? Because understanding those those common uncommonalities allows people to connect in those ways. Another universal connector is uncommon commonalities and that type of thing. Is the shared bond, the shared words, and that stuff. And so, um, I didn't know that story, but I'm, I am grateful for um, having you share that. Um, one thing I'd, I'd like to talk about, and also at, at another point in time, I'd love to dive deeper and kind of more of the things that you're up to, um, but. Um, one thing I'd like to talk about though too is um, recently, and this is a little juxtaposition, um, but I'm gonna, we're gonna have to wrap up the podcast in the next couple of minutes here. Uh, we've got so deep down one area. I totally wanted to talk to you about extra trailers <laughs> and UAPs and, and everything else. And that was my game plan was to go into that. But we got so deep in all these meaningful, wonderful, heroic topics of just peoples that like I looked at the clock, I was like, oh, shoot. I was like, I can't do it, but, but it was worth it. But and you know what, what Any, anybody can ask me about UFOs. Yeah, You're yeah. the only person that has had a conversation like it, this with me. So thank you. Well, I love much. it. Well, thank you. No, no, like you, you've said some things like I have, I have circled, like I want like breaking the rust off yourself. And it's like, there's so many things in here. I'm going to have to like kind of decompress all this information <laughs> because I, I love this. It's a wonderful conversation. Um, but I do have to ask like one question, just one question, one question <laughs> about it, just because I have to, to, to get this. Um, so like, so recently, um, like we had the whole crazy global pandemic and that's a whole nother civilization social issue. But um, recently, uh, like the, uh, the, uh, the government came out and said, hey, by the way, um, there are such things as these, as these UAPs and here's some, here's some information and footage around that. They kind of announced it um, in my my question for you this is just you know what's what's your take on on that that information coming out and what's the most exciting piece of information that you've come across that 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 you know ideally shifts you from instead of being 50 50 believe not believe in the possibility of this to maybe 51 49 percent is there any is there any of that information or do you have any thoughts around that sure um well, first of all, I, I crossed that precipice of whether this is real or not long mm -hmm. ago. Uh, mm -hmm. My exposure in the ATIP program, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, I very quickly realized that these things are a reality. Now, where they're yeah. from, who's behind the wheel, what their intentions are, and all that stuff, I, I, I don't know. I, you know I, I don't, and I'm not sure anybody really does at this point. All we know at this point that they're real, and we have enough substantial data and evidence from some of the most sophisticated equipment where that argument is over. Uh, and you now are seeing that conversation occurring in the halls of Congress to include all the way up to the president of the United States. Um, it is an important topic. And they are all now nodding their head north and south and saying, okay, you're right, that is real. Now, all the other questions that come along with that, we, 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 we're still trying to find out. Um, I think if you wanna know how, what's exciting for me is the fact that now we finally have the U.S. government engage on this and, and, and finally admitting that these things are real, whatever these things are, right? At least we now know they're real and the videos are authentic and these things continue to happen. Um, more importantly is the international conversation that's happening with other governments. You now have this recent announcement by Japan to work in a bilateral relationship with the United States on the topic of UAPs, specifically UFOs. Uh, and they, their government announced it, right? You have other governments that are now starting to come out and it's becoming a global conversation, a serious conversation, right? Not a conspiracy theory laden conversation that we're so used to having all the time, right? X-Files and whatnot and, 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 and spooky music. 
but something far more profound, something far more, well, more real and something that that is forcing all of us now to ask those hard questions that for so many years we were uncomfortable asking, meaning who are we? Where are we? What does it mean to be human being? Are there other things out there like us, maybe? And if there are, do they feel like us? Do they look like us? Do they love like us? You know, these are the, the big million dollar, or in this case, $22 million questions that need to be answered. And, um, you know, I, I'm certainly not going to be able to answer that. That's going to take a whole bunch of people to have that. And I'm excited that we can finally have this conversation, not just in front of a camera crew, but now we can have it around the dinner table. We can have it in the halls of Congress. We can have it anywhere now. And people aren't laughing anymore. People are saying, yeah, yeah you know what? It looks like that, that is a, that's, that's real. And that's a conversation we need to have. I look forward to having it, Lou. Um, uh, you touched on so many amazing things. You are so much more than just the what you do and in, in the show and all the other things. And you you do so many amazing things. Your perspective is so powerful. I want to dive into it more. People from my team are going to be coming into the meeting as we speak because there's a there's a, a unfortunately I don't have a, a block on this thing. So people, my team members are slicing in, and I keep booting them out as they pop in to finish this up. And so, uh, Lou, if people want to get a hold of you, and I'm going to keep kicking them out as they come in, um, how do people get a hold of you so I can wrap this up politely and then invite them back in? <laughs> well, Joan, first of all, I, I will do this anytime you want to do this. I, I'm happy to have this conversation anytime. Mm. I mean, anybody who's ever talked to me knows I'm extremely approachable. What you see is what mm. you get with me. I'm not an actor. I'm not an entertainer. I, I'm just mm. Lou. I'm a guy with a you know three dollar cheap T-shirt and uh, uh, you know a whole lot of patriotism on his shoulder. Um, if they want to contact me, I have. I'm not very good at it. I, I have mm -hmm. a Twitter page. I'm not very sure. good at it. Uh, I'm not good at social media. I'm trying. This old dog is trying to learn a new trick. Uh, they can contact me that way, or quite frankly, Dylan, they can they can contact me through you. I mean, you you have my direct cell number. You've got my email, you've got my, I mean, you've got pretty much everything that, that I have. If you, you want to forward my information to somebody, I'm happy to, you know, to, for you to do that. I, I trust your judgment. Um, I, I, I think people are surprised that there's people on Twitter that will, will say, oh, you know, I'd love to talk to Lou sometime. And all of a sudden the phone rings and they're like, oh my God, this is Lou? Yeah, hey, man, you, you, you wanted to talk. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, you want to talk about taking that brave step forward, trusting my judgment. I don't know about that one, Lou. The <laughs> no, you know what? I, I've, seen en I've seen enough of your character. I'm, I'm pretty uh, confident. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm okay with that. I love it, Lou. Uh, no, I really do appreciate this. I really appreciate everything that you do and all the things that you stand for and then just, just your, your willingness to give and your willingness to put yourself out there and take that brave step forward. So um, I'd love to do this again. Um, anytime in the future would be wonderful, but I, I really appreciate this and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Uh, thank you very much, Lou. I really appreciate your time. Anytime. Take care, my friend. You too, Lou. Take care now. All right. Take Bye. Care. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.